Good afternoon. My name is J.R. Stormont. Uh, today I'm going to be speaking uh, to you about saving at scale with reserved instances. I'm very uh, fortunate, I think, to get the right after lunch spot, so I hope everybody's awake. So before we start, quick level set. How many of you are currently buying reserved instances? Great. Now keep your hands up. How many of you have bought more than, say, a dozen? More than 100? 1,000? All right, we got a few. That's good. Last year I did that same poll and only got one, so we're growing a little bit. Uh, That's typically what we're seeing in the space right now is that our eyes are picking up a lot of steam. Uh, we're seeing higher and higher coverage rates happening. So in the talk today, we're going to kind of cover all the bases. We're going to talk at, about how to really manage at the 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 level scale. But we're also going to cover some fundamentals around uh, the basics if you're just getting started with reserved instances. A little background, uh, I'm co-founder of Cloudability, and we are a cloud cost management platform that helps companies run their business, uh, run their cloud like a business. So we work with about $5 billion of cloud spending for folks like uh, GE and Uber and Atlassian. And so everything we're talking about in here today is going to be things we've learned from working with those types of companies around efficiency, reserved instance management, cost visibility, uh, and taking all that into learnings that we're hoping to share today. So I wanted to tell the story this year of an RI buy gone bad. And because we're in Vegas, we're going to call it the RI hangover. Uh, I told a, a shorter version of, of a related story last year, and uh, I wanted to kind of update where this company went. Um, so how many of you have seen the movie The Hangover? Anybody? Great, most of you. So for the few of you who haven't, uh, it's about a bunch of guys who come to Vegas for a bachelor party, and uh, they have this wild night, and they wake up the next day in their hotel room, don't remember what happened. There's all kinds of bad things around them. Uh, similar thing happened with this company. We'll call them uh, Acme Corp. Uh, with their RI buy. And so I told the beginning part of this story last year, and what I wanted to add to it this year was what they did in the last year to get past that really bad RI buy. So we'll start with a quick recap, consider it this kind of like the sequel, and then we'll go into more detail from there. So this company, Acme Corp, followed a pretty similar trajectory that you typically see companies scaling on AWS. So they started with this curve that was very small in the beginning, and they started like most do, which was with Dev and Test. And they started with Dev and Test because they already had data centers, but they were tired of waiting for resources to be provisioned. They wanted to be more quickly, and so they got that really easy taste from AWS of instances. Uh, after that, they had what we call an involuntary load test, where they accidentally left a bunch of servers on over a weekend, spent a lot more than they meant to, but pretty quickly got it under control, got the cost back down. So shortly after that, their initial POC went into, uh, into place, and it went well. Everything stood up, it was performant, it was looking good. So they gave the green light, and they brought their first apps into production, apps one, two, and three. So at this point, there was a lot of excitement. The company was officially in the cloud. It was a big move. They were looking forward to getting out of as many of their data centers as possible. And for the most part, things just continued on from there. They were adding more and more applications into cloud. They were getting more traffic. They were scaling up and to the right until eventually they woke up and with the splitting headache with their exec team really caring about the bill. The bill basically crossed a threshold where it uh, raised enough alarm bells that they got this email from a VP saying, what's going on here? You guys are spending too much money. And he wanted them to get it under control. And so they looked at what they were doing. They stepped back, and they tried to look at the options. Uh, and the first option was, well, let's consider turning some things off. So they did some analysis. They dug in their infrastructure. And they realized that they have some pretty aggressive um, 
new development uh, deadlines coming up, and they didn't really have time to dedicate engineering resources to turning things off and right-sizing and figuring out what size things should be. So they thought about reserved instances. And reserved instances seemed like a pretty good path because unlike right-sizing and turning off resources and all those other types of efficiency work that you can do, RIs don't actually require any engineering work. You can pretty much write a check and buy the right RIs and the bill goes down. So what they did is they put an engineer against figuring out what they needed to buy. They did an analysis of what they were running at different times. And they put this order together, put it in, made a big purchase. Uh, and they had seen other companies do things like this. They were very excited about our eyes because uh, we they'd seen a graph like this from a webinar that we actually did with Adobe and AWS uh, last year where Adobe had shared that they had dropped their spending in EC2 by uh, as much as 60% with this purchase. So they really figured this was the way to go. So they put that order together, they put it in, and they bought a bunch of reserved instances. And they were very excited. It was a lot of high fives, things were good, they knew they were gonna solve the problem, and they all kind of went back to their general work. They went back to these, extra, uh, these deadlines they had coming up. And the next month, the problem was, the bill continued to go up. And in fact, it actually went up faster than it was going up in the first place before they bought the reserved instances. And the next morning, they woke up to another email from their VP, this time angry, wondering what had gone wrong. And they were really confused. They were thinking, you know, we, we did the analysis, we bought the RIs, we did the high fives, you know, what went wrong? So they started digging in, and these are the things they realized that went wrong initially. So not a lot of their reserved instances were applied from that giant seven-figure RI buy they did because, first of all, they had the wrong operating system data. And the way this happened was the engineers on this team knew that they were running RHEL. Hands down, they had a mandate in their company to move to RHEL. They are trying to get off of vanilla Linux and other areas. And they bought RHEL uh, reserved instances. The problem was they had actually brought their own licenses for RHEL. So AWS was billing them for plain Linux uh, RIs and instances. So all of the RHEL RIs they bought ended up being not applied, while all these instances they're running in Linux were running on demand, so they had a doubling of the bill happen. The next thing that went wrong was they looked at the wrong time frame. They had some pretty major changes coming in their infrastructure where they were gonna be moving, for example, a bunch of M4s into C4s. And this change was supposed to be right around the corner. So they decided to go ahead and buy ahead of the curve, and they bought the C4s that were gonna be coming rather than the M4s that they're running now. The problem was things happened. Fires came up, deadlines got in the way, and that move into the C4s didn't happen for a number of months. So as a result, just like in the wrong OS, they had all these C4 RIs that were sitting there running, uh, uh, that they're paying for each and every hour of the month, and a bunch of M4 instances that were running on demand. Again, they had a doubling effect. So the third thing that caused waves in the organization was that they didn't consult uh, the finance teams before making the purchase. So the engineering and ops teams uh, made the decision about what to do, uh, and they made what they thought was the right purchase, uh, but they ended up buying all upfront RIs, which are a great option for a lot of companies, but in this case, the company wanted to preserve capital, and the finance team would have wanted to pay uh, in smaller bits with a partial upfront RI by paying a little bit upfront and then paying over time. So these three things together created a big spike in the bill. And they knew they really had to dig into creating a better process and creating uh, a better team around how to purchase and manage the RIs. 
So fast forward another year. Oh, and as a result, one more thing. They ended up, as a result of these three things, getting a cost increase of over $120,000 a month while usage stayed flat. So not a very good outcome. So fast forward a year with their new process in place. They end up uh, in a spot where they've actually moved from 11% RI coverage all the way up to 70% RI coverage with not a lot of waste on a, on a seven-figure monthly EC2 bill. This is a lot of progress in that short amount of time. And they went from wasting that 120K a month to actually saving about 500K a month over on-demand with the RIs they have. So that's a pretty dramatic difference. And I'm going to spend the bulk of this talk talking about how they made this change work over time, and then also going into some of the new reserved instance announcements that AWS made this year. Uh, there are things you might want to consider adding into your RI management. So before we do that, I do want to do a quick overview on the basics of RIs for those of you in the room who have not purchased a lot of them. So RIs, uh, as you likely know, have two basic components. You get a res uh, cost savings component where you pay up front some amount and you get a reduced rate over time. And then there's also a capacity reservation. And the capacity reservation isn't necessarily a guarantee, but it says if AWS is short on a certain type of instance and a certain AZ, that you're going to be uh, able to get first dibs on it when you need it. So most of the companies we work with are really focused on the cost savings component. Uh, I would say the majority, 75% or more, aren't as much focused on capacity reservations. There's a real good need for capacity reservations for certain companies if you've got very specific types of instances that you're spinning up quickly or in large numbers. But for the most part, we see people optimize on the cost savings. Also, it's important to think about reservations as being distinct from the instances to which they are applied. You are not reserving an instance, you are buying a set of coupons that can be applied to an instance during a month. So in a 31-day month, you've got 744 hours. You essentially get 744 hourly coupons that can be applied to those instances within that month. And what makes up a reservation? So you've got a few basic things. You've got the family, so M4, C4, et cetera. You have a size, large, medium, small. You have an operating system, Linux, RHEL. And then you've got location, AZ. So there can be some other things in there, like tenancy, for example. Uh, but typically, these are the things people are focused on. Uh, you also have a one- or three-year term, and there's a few options in there we'll go into later. And then there's a few ways you can pay for the reserved instances. There's a no upfront, which is kind of like renting a house. Right? You come in, you pay every month for it for your 12-month uh, lease, and that's it. Then you've got partial upfront, which is sort of like buying a house with a mortgage. You pay something upfront. In exchange, you get a reduced monthly payment, but you're still paying each and every month. And then there's all upfront, which is sort of like buying a house in cash. You pay the entire thing at the beginning of the term for the 12 or 36 months. So a couple important things here. On all the types of RIs, you're committing to pay for each and every hour of the one or three year period, regardless of whether or not you use them. On the flip side of that, it's important not to confuse the one or three year commitment with the break even point, because in a lot of cases, a one year RI may actually get into savings in three, four, five, or six months, so sometimes half the actual term. So this year, Amazon introduced a couple of new reserved instance types. Uh, what did they change this year? So first of all, they didn't touch the standard reserved instances, the ones that you have all come to know and love, the uh, no upfronts, the partial upfronts, all upfronts. They're still the same, same one or three-year commitment. Uh, and you can still modify Linux RIs in the standard RIs in different sizes. I want to highlight this because there is actually a fair amount of flexibility if you're running Linux to change sizes to right size. A lot of people don't take, it, uh, take advantage of that, but it's one of the best ways to save with your existing unused RIs if you can. 
So the first thing they added this year was a thing called regional scope. And it's kind of a no-brainer, I think, for a lot of companies, which is it lets an RI be applied in any AZ within a region, regardless of where the instance comes up. You do still have to pick a region, but often if you move from 1A, 1B, et cetera, uh, you would lose your RI coverage with a standard. This addresses that. And they also added convertible reserved instances. So these are a three-year commitment. Uh, you do have the ability to exchange them for literally any other type. So you can change operating system, you can change region, you can change family. It's a great way to future-proof against uh, either changes in your infrastructure or brand new instance families coming down the road that AWS may not have actually announced yet. So I'll go into a little more detail on each of those. Um, on a regional scope, the way this used to work is if you had a, a structure like this where you've got a region and then a number of AZs below it, you would buy the RIs in one of the AZs. And it still does work like this for uh, standard RIs and convertibles out of the box. Now, if you buy them at one of the AZ levels, though, and you spin up an instance in the AZ that has the RI in it, it's going to be covered. But if you spin it up in a different AZ, like in US West 2B here, you end up with an uncovered instance that's going to run on demand. So the regional scope basically takes those coupons and moves them from the AZ level up to the regional level. So no matter where you spin up your instances, they're always going to be covered within that region. Uh, important thing on the regional scope, uh, it's not actually a new type of RI. This is just an attribute of existing RIs. So you can apply regional scope to a standard. You can apply it to a convertible. You can do it on a one-year, a three-year, any type you want. So we are seeing companies do a mix of these uh, because, mainly, you lose the capacity uh, reservation with the regional scope RI. So if you're just looking for cost savings for you know, the bulk of your fleet, but there's a few specific instance types where you really need the capacity reservation, we'll see a regional scope on most of it, and then an AZ scope on the ones that need the capacity. Definitely recommend checking these out. Uh, although with the uh, modifications that we'll talk more about, you can move RIs between AZs today. It does actually require a step for you to do that. And whether you do it manually or even automate it, there can be a lag between the Amazon data updating about where the RI sits versus where the instance sit, and you can have instances running on demand when you have an unused RI. So with the regional scope, you get a much quicker pickup where they will move as quickly as the instance does. So the second thing that came out are the convertible reserved instances. So they do require a three-year term, but they offer a lot more flexibility. The trick with these, before you get into them, is that you want to make sure that you're going to use at least the same amount or more of EC2 specifically over time. So if you're planning to move a bunch of things to uh, RDS or serverless or anything else, you want to consider these before you jump in. You can exchange them, as I mentioned, to any other type within that period. Um, so for example, you could run M4 2x larges for the first two years, and in year three, you can convert those over to a C4 2x large. So here's a good breakdown on sort of how the three types go and when you should use it. Uh, standard one years, as we mentioned, commitment to EC2 is low. You'll notice the asterisk next to flexibility there being low because, again, you can still modify those standards to move them between AZs and change sizes in Linux. So make sure to keep that in your back pocket. Uh, convertibles have a touch more savings. This is approximate. You know, in some cases it might be 5%, sometimes 10%. So you're getting both a flexibility component when you move to the three-year as well as a little extra savings, which is nice. So if you're confident that you're going to be in AWS and in EC2 for a long time, they're a really good option. The standards are still, the standard three years, are actually still a good choice 
for things that you know are going to stay the same for a long time. So we see companies buying these for things like I2s that are running big databases or things that are really going to be around and we don't see a lot of change. Again, I'd remind you, three-year commitment doesn't necessarily mean that you need to run the reservation for a full three years in order to save money. There's going to be a break-even point that's often a lot less than that, sometimes less than half the term. So it may still be good to look at if you know you're going to run something for a year, year and a half, three-year uh, RI might still be the best option. And there is a double asterisk there next to the convertibles. You'll note they are not listed as high flexibility. And the reason for that is there is a commitment not only to using the same amount, but when you do exchanges to other types of reservations with the convertible model, you often will have to true up cost to get to, you know, you may not have a one for one, dollar for dollar, you may need to add a little bit each time. So you are locking in potentially a little more spend each time you do an exchange if the right uh, appropriate mix isn't there. So what does this mean for RI planning? Well, a few things. You've got more choices to consider, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. And you'll likely see uh, that you may need a, a mix of different types. Uh, you'll have things like convertibles for the areas that you expect to change over time, and standard RIs for things that you expect to stay the same or you want to maximize the savings on maybe a three-year. Management definitely has gotten more complex if you decide to use both, because the endpoints for managing uh, standards versus convertibles are also different. You have uh, modifications for standard RIs, and then you have exchanges for convertible RIs, different process for each and different APIs to actually change them around. And again, you want to be careful as you're going with convertibles, understanding that you may have to up your commit each time, which, if you're growing into EC2, is going to be fine. Uh, we've also got some great tools in CloudAbility. If uh, you look at a system like this, it'll tell you what each type will do at each different breakdown of percentage of savings, uh, whether you need to go standard, convertible, et cetera. So it's a good, easy way to kind of make a choice about which is the right way for you to go. So back to these guys. Fast forward that year, they got to 70% RI coverage. How did they do it? So let's dig into their process a little bit. So fundamentally, they started with a change of how they thought about reserve instances. They started thinking about them as two sides to the same coin with their infrastructure. On the side of the infrastructure, they already thought about that as elastic. They knew they were having auto-scaling coming up and down. Instances were starting, stopping. They had migrations happening. They were doing some right-sizing. Things were moving around all the time. And what they changed to on the reservation side was starting to think about reservations in the same way. Reservations are really just-in-time purchasing. They're very quick to purchase. You can make changes to them very rapidly or automatically. Uh, and there's a lot of fluidity happening also as you get to scale because typically if you've bought many times over many years, you're going to have expirations on different days. Uh, you're going to need to be looking at uh, you know, big new fleets coming in and purchasing those. You want to look at the unused portions as well. So thinking about those two as two pieces or two sides of the same coin is really key. And as part of that, what they put in was a more agile process for measuring their RIs. That first buy they made was a giant single purchase. They assumed they would do it, they would walk away, and everything would be good. Instead, what they went to was a buy, measure, learn methodology that essentially said, at each step, step of the process, we're going to make a purchase, we're going to measure the results from that purchase to look at the ROI from it, we're going to learn from those ROI measurements and then make changes on the back of the reservations to make sure we're continuously aligning the RIs to the infrastructure. And importantly, they focused on how to minimize time through this loop. Because with your infrastructure moving around, you don't want to do this once a year or twice a year or even quarterly. Ideally, you're doing this monthly. And if you have a very large fleet with a lot of movement, you might want to be doing it multiple times a month. 
they also added a few metrics that they began tracking very closely in the process. So the first was the reserve coverage rate. And this basically said, out of all the instance hours we are running, how many of them are covered by an RI? And again, it's not about how many instances are covered, it's how many hours in the period. So for example, if you had 10 hours running in a period and five of them were covered uh, under a reserved instance, you'd have a 50% reserved instance coverage rate. And of course, they made sure to exclude spot hours from this because spot, in many cases, is going to be a lot lower than RI uh, costs. So you want to look at that just for the on-demand versus reserved. They also started looking really closely at the unused reserved hours. Uh, and this is specifically hours they had paid for, for the month, that were not actually applied. And they tracked that both intramonth to see how they're trending against uh, the end of the month. Are they going to use them all? And also, looking back historically, how much are we not using? Now, and it's okay to have some hours unused. With RIs, you may have 5% or 10% unused. You want to continuously drive that down, but as long as the overall savings rates are positive, you, you may end up with a little bit of unuse, and that's okay. So that first metric, uh, they graphed in something like this, where they basically looked day by day, what was the breakdown between the hours that were reserved versus the hours that were not reserved, and tracked that as changes happened. And then they also graphed out, both uh, in a graphical form and then also uh, email alerts, to say how many unused hours do we have, and within that, how many of each type are we using. On the final month, uh, the, which was in this example a, a current month view, that month should have been burning down, or that number should have been burning down throughout the month, so they end up with as low as possible number. They also put in a new process or team to run that process, and the process centered around, in their company, just one person, sometimes it may be an actual team, but this person they called the RI czar. And this is somebody who was responsible for constantly evaluating the infrastructure and looking at the reserve coverage rate against it to see how they could drive the coverage rates up. And it's actually pretty compelling when you start to look at the numbers. And typically this isn't a full-time person. This is like somebody's you know, part-time gig, but you make it something that they need to measure, something that they are actually uh, measured on in terms of performance. And if you look at the numbers around it, you think about a million-dollar annual EC2 bill, which is not a huge EC2 bill uh, these days. Uh, you can save 30% or more, or even higher, if you really uh, get into three-year commitments. So the numbers on this, the economics, start to pay off really quickly to have somebody dedicate quarter time or even fifth time or half time to this if it's a really scaled company. We've worked with some organizations making you know, five, $10 million RI buys at a time. They may have a three-person team running this because the numbers get so compelling that you want to really dial in the coverage rate to get it as high as possible. Interestingly, this person is not typically in the tech organization. They are very closely aligned with the ops teams, the engineering teams, but it's really more of an analyst role who's looking at the data to see how can we get it's the right number of RIs against the infrastructure. They're not touching the infrastructure. They're not making changes to it. They're just trying to sort of clean up after the engineering and ops teams to get you know, the best fit of RIs against what's being used. So in terms of minimizing time through that loop that we talked about, they also put in a very clear-cut process, which was they got their modifications of existing RIs automated, so they're running every day. So they didn't have to think about if something resized or moved in AZ, they didn't have to move the RI, it was just going. And then they put in a regular monthly cadence with their buying. So four days before the end of the month, they would generate all the results, or all the recommendations, rather, for what uh, to buy this month. And they'd do some culling of that over the next couple days to basically pull out things they knew were going to change. So for example, if they had you know, a big I2 buy that was recommended, they would talk to the engineering team, and the engineering team would say, yes, well, we're about to shut off half of those, so don't buy those right now. So they'd take out of those. 
And they'd use those next couple days to review the purchase, make sure everything's good, and then they'd execute the purchase on the same day each month. So this ensured two things. One, that the purchase actually happened. They had a deadline for it each month. And also, over time, it allowed them to align all of their expiration dates to the same day of the month so they weren't caught unaware on the 15th or the 7th or the 3rd when RIs expired and they didn't look for a week. Suddenly, they had uh, racked up a bunch of on-demand. On that uh, third step there, the reviewing the purchase with the stakeholders, one of the things that's important with this is you're not going to the teams, if you have a distributed teams, and saying, hey, what RIs do you want to buy? You're coming to them with the recommendation, here's what we want to buy, here's what we're going to buy. Tell us if we shouldn't. Because in a lot of cases, and this is why it's often an analyst role or sort of connected to the finance side, engineering and ops teams are focused on keeping the infrastructure running, rolling out new things. RIs are not top of mind. So we want to have somebody really driving the process and sort of an opt-out, we're going to buy this unless you tell us not to sort of model. So in that process, let's dig in a little bit on each of the steps and see what they did in each of them. So in the buy purchase or the buy uh, area, they moved from the world of making the big purchases to a very iterative approach. Um, if you're just getting started or even if you've made a big buy and it's, you're not happy with it or you want to increase your coverage, definitely recommend slowing down, making some small targeted purchases early to make sure you get your process nailed before scaling it up, and then focusing on the high confidence purchases first. Uh, one really obvious one here, if you're using uh, standard reserved instances, is to look at Linux instances first, because again, you can change the sizes of them, unlike other OSs. Uh, other th things you might want to look at are you know, general family types, like say, M4 Linux in US East 1, or M4 Linux in US East generally, because that creates, represents a whole block of things that even with standard RIs, you can uh, modify to different sizes and move around within those AZs. So you want to look for the biggest chunks there. And then the uh, third thing was, you really want to make sure you're thinking about the right date ranges. This shouldn't be looking back two months, what you were doing. It shouldn't be thinking about what you're going to be doing in the future. It's literally, what is the infrastructure doing right now? And thinking of it as just-in-time purchasing. So the team at Acme Corps, we're calling them, would basically log in to get reserved instance recommendations out of cloudability. And what they would do is they'd focus on getting those date ranges right. So picking the most recent time frame they could, and then also setting thresholds to say, look, we want to find things with the biggest savings rates, or we want to find things that are running at least 80 or 90% of the time. So you can really narrow in your purchase to get to just the most, uh, the, the purchases that would give the best ROI. And then they would dig in on each of those to get into the actual uh, cash flow comparison, see where is that break-even point. Okay, so it's a one-year commitment, but it looks like on this one, the break-even point is, say, month three. Uh, so... That, as long as we know we're going to be running four or five months, six months ideally, this is going to be a good buy. So once they made those purchases, they would circle back around and do some measurements on that. And then again, they'd go back to those metrics we talked about. So first of all, the reserved instance coverage rate. When we made the purchase, did the coverage rate go up? Or when we made modifications or exchanges, did the coverage rate grow up, go up? If it didn't, we're missing something. Then they'd also look at the unused hours. And they ended up in a pretty good spot. They were making monthly purchases of a few hundred thousand dollars, uh, which sounds like a lot, but it's a seven-figure monthly spender, and they were really trying to up their coverage. Uh, and they were able to get their unused RI hours down under $10,000 a month by automating those modifications to make sure they're happening all the time. The other thing they would do is they'd really dig in on the underutilized RIs. So they'd look at this list all the time to say, which RIs are we not utilizing? And they would either you know, let the team know, hey, we've got these M4, uh, you know, 4XLs 
you're using two XLs. We, you know, why don't you go ahead and use the, the larger ones because we already paid for the RIs and get those used. Or they would try and sell them on the marketplace or they would uh, give them to another team. The idea here is continuously focusing on how do we improve those numbers and keep those really top of mind. And then on the back of those purchases and the measurements they had taken and the things they had learned, they went and made adjustments. And the adjustments uh, really fell into two camps. The first was modifications, which we've been talking a lot about. Uh, who here is doing modifications of their standard RIs? I was really hoping for more. Um, this is probably the best thing you can be doing if you own RIs today to reduce cost. More RIs takes a commitment. Uh, right sizing takes engineering resources. Uh, turning instances off takes somebody going and doing that. Modifications are a quick change that you can do in the console. They're free, they're unlimited, they let you move AZs, they let you change sizes, great thing to look at. Uh, and they work based on a point system. Again, we're looking at Linux here uh, as an example because they're most flexible. But if you have, say, a two extra large like this, it's got a 16 point value. And what you can do is take those 16 points and split them into, say, two sets of eight points, so two single extra larges. And then you could split those into larges or down into mediums and smalls and so on and so forth. So this, again, it can be an automated process just to kind of follow your infrastructure. Remember, you're not changing your instances. This doesn't require, you know, making sure that we're going to mess with the boxes or change anything in terms of performance. This is just moving those coupons around to different denominations, sort of a, like a coin counting exercise to get the right mix to cover what you have. So what Acme Court would do initially before they automated it was basically look at the list to say, okay, here's the underutilized things. And those are things where we are essentially owning our eyes that we are paying for, that we are not using enough to be past the break even. And then they would see what they would move them into on the right side here, which are the currently on-demand RIs, or on-demand instances, rather. Again, you kind of end up with this double whammy effect when you're not making modifications. You've got things you're paying for but not using, and then you've got other things you're running on-demand that could be covered by the thing you're paying for but are not right now. So a great thing to look at. And then they automated the process. Um, Recommend doing it this way if you can. The manual modifications can take a lot of time if you've got a lot of them. Um, the approach we use is basically a Lambda function typically where our API will give the recommendations for what to actually modify in the process and say here's what you could do. We give you a Lambda function so you get to keep the keys. We're not actually touching our infrastructure. And then it will automatically execute those against the AWS API on the frequency you want. Daily seems to be a good cadence for a lot of people. So on the convertible side, again, it's a little bit different process. Um, these are exchanges. Uh, different endpoints, uh, you basically have a quote API where you can find out what you could change it for and then you do the actual exchanges. Um, and you wanna think of these not in terms of the compute families, but in terms of value. So I have put in, say, $1,000. I now have that $1,000 cash to spend in different ways. So year one and two, you could be in one thing, move it to something else in year three. I've said this like three times, I'll say it again. Just remember, you may be continuously increasing the commit as you go up. Um, so some companies, that's fine. But for others, you know, remember, the standard RIs might still be a good fit for you. So back to these guys. They have achieved that 70% RI coverage. They're high-fiving again. Things are great. No more problems. And then about two months later, they're right back here. They get an email from their VP, and the VP is really confused, and he says, I'm getting these reports from you saying what we're spending, and then I'm getting reporting from finance, and the two don't align. In fact, they are way, way off. Your numbers are way lower than what finance is telling me. Are you, not, are you, are you spending that much? What's the deal? 
And this is where we get to the accounting portion of the presentation, where we have to talk about accrual accounting. So, love this GIF. Uh, so, essentially, there's two types of ways to look at this, right? You've got a cash basis, and you've got an accrual basis. So cash, essentially, uh, is when the expenses are being recorded in the period in which they were incurred. Uh, I'm sorry, paid, versus accrual is the expenses recorded in the period in which it was incurred. So for an RI, in cash, it looks like this. You borrow the RI in January, all the expenses there. So when that VP was seeing the reporting, uh, he would see a big spike in January, but in the following months, there'd be none of the expense that actually should have been there from the RIs because what they should have done was carry it forward month over month, the portion of those RIs that needed to go forward. So if you look at your bill from a daily perspective and you're buying RIs, you're probably gonna see something like this. You're gonna see these really big spikes and those really big spikes are the purchases, those one-time purchases of RIs. So like that one and that one. And what you probably want to see happen is what is really the spend, or what is the spending uh, down in these areas? So what if I was able to flatten out those, to those big spikes to see how it carried through? Typically, people think the bill is going to look like this, where they're going to see this really nice, casual you know, growth up like this. But in reality, what you get when you amortize properly is a view that looks kind of like this. This is looking daily again, which is important. We'll get to it here in a minute. So on the first day of each month, Amazon is putting a line item uh, in your detailed billing report file that says, how many RI hours did you buy this month? And then how many did you use? So at the beginning of the month, and you'll see, let's call that last big spike at the end, the current month, that spike is gonna be really high because it's all these hours you paid for and you haven't used most of them yet. As the month goes through, those hours are gonna be allocated out of the first of the month, which is where they sit initially, and they're gonna end up in whatever hour that they were actually used in. So in past months where you have not used all of your hours, you're gonna see these little spikes there that essentially represent the unused RI hours from the previous months. So you could filter those out, you could pull those out, but I do wanna highlight this because it's often something that people get confused by when they really get into the data. And you don't necessarily wanna amortize those out across the whole way because those weren't necessarily used. So you may wanna count them as wastes, you may wanna allocate them to the budget of the purchasing account, up to you, there's different ways to deal with it. Now this really only happens, you see these spikes in the daily view. Ideally in a monthly view, it would be a much smoother trend going up. You go from a spiky month view where RI purchases are happening to sort of a trend going up because those date, first day of the month hours are gonna be uh, collapsed into the month spending. So why does this matter? We're at a tech conference, this isn't a finance conference, why should you think worry about amortization? A couple reasons, so without amortized view of the spending, you're really only seeing a portion of the true cost you're incurring. And your finance team may actually be amortizing the RI charges behind the scenes when they're doing their chargeback reporting. And if you want to see the impact of your RI buys, you actually have to look at an amortized view because you want to see the hourly rates. What is the true hourly rate? You buy an RI last month. You look at the detailed billing report data next month. The hourly rate is going to be really low because it's taking advantage of that purchase that happened last month. Amortize that out. That hourly rate is going to come up and you get a better sense of how effective your purchasing was. And finally, your VP may actually be getting an amortized view from finance at a very high level that again is not gonna align with your numbers. 
So the way the amortization typically works is a waterfall view like this. And this is typically what a, a finance person would do. They would take, and it's a little bit off the screen here, but you'd essentially have each month's purchases, and you'd split them into 12, and you would spread them out over the term like that. So they call it the waterfall because it kind of falls off as RIs expire. Now, this is a simple way to get there and is likely what a lot of your finance teams are doing now. This is what Acme Core started with. Uh, but it's inaccurate because of a few different things. Um, first of all, modifications. If you're doing them, which I highly recommend you do, you're essentially creating this family tree. Every time you change an instance, or a reservation rather, to say a different size uh, or a different family if you're doing convertibles, you need to reallocate that amortization to wherever that type of instance or RI was applied. So that can be something that's difficult to track in a spreadsheet, especially as you get to hundreds or thousands of RIs. Also, getting down to the hour on amortization is really critical because different months have different days in them. If you guys have done that trick where it's like January, February, March, April, May, June, you end up with months that may be 10% shorter than uh, other ones. And so without doing it down to the hour, you're gonna end up with some wrong numbers. And finally, with a large portfolio, your RIs are gonna be starting and stopping on different days. So if you end up just doing it divide by 12, you can end up with some really incorrect reporting. If you're a company that reports cloud spending as part of your COGS or as a large line item for you, 10% uh, off could be a, a pretty major difference. Uh, and ultimately what you wanna end up with is a view that looks like this. This is drilled down to just uh, individual reservations. The reservations have been blurred out there. Uh, but essentially saying, you know, this reservation in this month carried this much cost forward. You'll see some of them are a lot smaller. February, for example, is shorter than March, and so on and so forth. And finally, as you're working through all this process, really important, stay on top of those expirations. Uh, make sure you have some kind of alerting in place so you know when the expirations are happening, you know when they're coming. You want to, particularly if you've got some big ones falling off, we work with companies a lot, and Acme Corp ran into this, where that giant buy they made, the $2 million buy way back, when it finally expired, they had to get ahead of it quite a ways because they needed to get authorizations and approvals for some larger buys at that time period. So you don't want to get stuck with, I woke up, wake up the next day, we just had 2,000 RIs expire, I have to make a quick purchase and my VP is on holiday. So make sure you know when those are coming. All right, so we covered a lot of stuff. So I want to leave you guys with a few uh, just sort of quick takeaways uh, for things to do after reInvent. So first of all, it's Vegas, drink lots of water. You're probably gonna be drinking a lot this week. Take care of yourself. Uh, secondly, RIs are really frequently misunderstood. I can't tell you the number of times I went into a meeting with a CTO level person in a very large tech company who completely misunderstood the core concepts of how RIs were applied and how they worked. So don't assume anything. Take some time to train people on the fundamentals get some people in your organization really up to speed on this so they can be the RISR to do this. Uh, we've got a great, bunch of great educational content on our blog, blog.cloudability.com. There's a reserve instances button with years of blog posts you can check out if you want to start there. Uh, remember, coverage can change really quickly. Your infrastructure is dynamic and fluid. RIs also need to be dynamic and fluid. So start looking really closely at those two metrics, the coverage rate and the unused RI hours that you have paid for. Third, don't forget about those standard RI modifications. We had probably 75% of the room raise their hands about, are you doing RIs? And I think maybe five people for modifications. If you're not doing these, you're leaving money on the table. They're really easy to do. Start doing those as quickly as you can. Uh, and again, just watch the convertibles as you're going into them to make sure you're not constantly upping your commit. It's really easy to get distracted. 
we've all got a lot of new features we're shipping and new migrations happening and apps coming online. Make this somebody's job because otherwise it will fall off the plate. Doing this by committee just won't work. You need deadlines and times around this. And finally, start thinking about it iteratively. Uh, small, uncontroversial purchases. We know that we are gonna be running M4s in US East for the next six months. Let's buy a one-year RI. That's past the break-even point. And then keep those changes happening over time.